this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 55. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55, we'll be continuing our series on biblical firsts, sort of seek first, listen first, inquire first, um, stuff like that in the Bible. And this morning we've got listen first. And while we don't get the words listen first explicitly in the passage, we do see that listening comes before just about anything else. And so, uh, since I've got a lot to say, we'll be reading as we go along to try to sort of save us some time. Uh, so buckle up, I'm going to talk fast, <laughs> try to listen attentively. But first, let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word, for Isaiah chapter 55, for the way in which we are called to listen to you. And Lord, at the same time, we acknowledge that we are not very good listeners. So we ask that as we listen to your word, that you would transform our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and satisfy us in Christ, that we might know that we are loved, that we are freed to listen and to listen well to those around us, to the lost. And so Lord, uh, show us Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever wondered why people don't listen well? Uh, we're in the midst of a time where people don't really listen well to each other. And it's really easy to see in other people, right? It's not so easy to see in ourselves. But for instance, politicians, right? Politicians talk past each other all the time, seeking to score political points against their opponents rather than seeking to build consensus. Uh, they're really not all that interested in listening, but rather they're interested in speaking. And then there are social justice movements out there centered around issues of race and equality, of uh, seeking to redress uh, wrongs or imbalances or inequalities. And there are so many people that aren't listening well on, on that either, on whichever side you want. Basically, any, take any debate or any issue that has sides, and likely every side is not listening very well but rather seeking to speak from their perspective. Even in our closest relationships, in our marriages, listening well is difficult. How often have wives and husbands said to each other, you're not listening to me. No, I just want you to listen. Please just listen to me. And why is that? Why is it that we have such a hard time listening? And I think I have a few guesses. Uh, but I, first, I think it's important to say that we sometimes think that listening to us means doing what I tell you or agreeing with me. We sometimes don't actually want people to listen to us. Rather, we want them to obey or affirm us. But that's merely blind submission where I'm always right and you're always wrong. It's not a conversation. Because what you think doesn't matter. And it really comes down to it, a simple, all-consuming selfishness. This selfishness is also at the root of our self-assurance that we're always, in fact, right. That you're wrong and I'm right. And that selfishness infects us even when we try to listen, because we're often thinking about ourselves as we hear people speak. What I mean by that is that we often listen to respond. While someone else is talking, we're 
marshalling our retorts, our excuses, our points, our counterpoints. You may be even doing that right now, seeking to defend yourself from me telling you that you're probably not a good listener. But doing that isn't listening well either. Rather, listening well means that I'm not thinking about myself, but I'm rather trying to put myself in your shoes to not only understand your argument, but to understand the emotions that come with your position. Are you hurting? Are you angry? Are you feeling betrayed or lonely? Are there feelings of anxiety, doubt, or frustration? Because listening isn't just about receiving information about a problem, but about connecting and meeting with a whole person. And on top of that, on top of the whole selfishness aspect, there is the fact that listening is often revealing. When we listen to others about their experiences, their perspectives, their thoughts, we find ourselves resonating, hopefully, with bits and pieces, if not large bits and pieces. We end up, as we listen, thinking to ourselves, wow, I do that too, or uh-oh, I've definitely said that, or oh good, that's how I approach things too. But that resonance, that connection requires vulnerability. It requires accountability. It means that sometimes our sins, our flaws, our ugliness are revealed. Listening well requires us to see the truth about ourselves. And usually it's not a very pretty picture because we're sinners. And so in short, listening well puts us in a position that we don't particularly like. And it puts us in a position that we often work very hard to avoid. No one likes to be wrong. No one likes to realize they've been a racist or insensitive or a jerk or the list goes on and on and on. No one likes to see where we fall short. And listening well often makes us look at exactly that. And so listening well is hard and uncomfortable and humbling. And so often we just don't. It's easier and safer emotionally and for our own identity to simply dismiss, ridicule, ignore, or be indignant of the flaws in others, all the while ignoring the massive plank in our own eye. After all, a good offense is a good defense. And so we just push it off onto other people. And so essentially, we are bad at listening because we're selfish and hate looking at our sin. And I find it highly ironic that you now all have to listen to me talk about sin and selfishness, right? That we as a congregation this morning are going to sit in some uncomfortable places. Why? Because that's what the Bible tells us we are. Uncomfortable, sinful people. Unless you think that I'm the best listener ever, I'm not. My wife and children point this out to me regularly, um, that I don't connect and listen well. And so this sermon is really as much to me as to any one of you. And it's been an uncomfortable week for me as I've had to think about what it looks like to be a better listener and how the gospel enables me to do just that. And so this morning, as we look at Isaiah 55, the hope is that we will see how listening to the gospel changes our selfishness and our sinfulness. 
And that change will give us a new perspective, which will then lead us to worship. And then hopefully that worship and that perspective will help us have better relationships as we listen to one another. So listening leads to satisfaction, which deals with our selfishness. This is verses one through three. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Do you spend your money for that which, does not, that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. In a lot of ways, our selfishness is embodied by our lack of listening to the Lord. You see, if we're not listening to the Lord, which we clearly aren't in these verses, right? The question then becomes, well, who are we listening to? If we're not listening to the Lord, who are we listening to? And of course, the answer is some version of idolatry. We're chasing after things that we think we need, that we think that we want, that we think are going to satisfy. But the common thread in all of that is us. All idolatry is really at its root about us. Idolatry is serving a God made in our own image, a God that we can control, a God that we can manipulate into doing what we want. How many times have I said the word we? It's no surprise that the sinfulness that we see today is the same sinfulness that we saw in the garden that we see in Isaiah. It is the same sinfulness that has been around since the, the fall which is that I want to be about me and not about anyone else. Certainly not God. And so we're selfish. We're imminently selfish. We think that, in fact, satisfaction, that the best life, our best life now, right, is to satisfy what we want. It's about us. But we're wrong. We're never satisfied when doing things for ourselves because it's never enough and it never lasts. You see, there's always another show, another concert, another toy, another car, another house, another book, another whatever to see or get or experience. Even good things like education or helping others doesn't truly satisfy because there's always something new to learn or another person to help. And none of it lasts anyways. Because when we die, well, what then? So what's the answer? What can we do that, to find satisfaction that truly lasts, that endures? Well, God's solution is somewhat surprising. It doesn't involve doing very much at all. Rather, instead of doing, he tells us to listen diligently. In uh, Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration, which I was talking with with the uh, middle school and high school Sunday school class this morning, when Jesus is transfigured in his glory on that mount, what, is, what does God say? He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's not obey him. It's not follow him. It's listen to him. So, it is in listening to the Lord that we are satisfied. And why does he say that? Why does he say listen? It's because that's what we're made for. We weren't made for ourselves, but for him. 
And he's the only one who has life eternal. Peter in John 6 confessed, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, did you notice what Peter says in John 6? You have the words of eternal life. What we need is we need to hear God's word. Listening to God is the key to eternal life. So what does God talk about with these words that we're to listen to? Well, unsurprisingly, it's about his covenant, about his savior that he is sending for us. Starting in the second half of verse 3 to verse 5, we'll see sort of God's solution. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. When we listen to God, what do we hear? We hear about his steadfast love for us. And it's not just for David, but for the nations as well, for the Gentiles. And this covenant is meant to bring people in. Why? Because they are glorified when they come. We have been glorified by God. And how are we glorified by God? Through our union with Jesus Christ, the one who fulfills the covenant. Now, think about this. Jesus is the word made flesh. Hebrews 1 tells us that in these last days, the Lord has spoken to us by his son. It could have been that the Lord is revealed to us through his son. It could have been that the, the, uh, the Lord uh, saves us through his son. It could have been, you know, he has, you know, saved us through. There are any number of words that he could have chosen. And yet he says he has spoken to us through his son, implying that we are to listen to the word of God embodied in his son. And then think about some of the things that Jesus will do for us, right? In verses one and two of Isaiah 55, it tells us that we are hungry, thirsty, and poor. Hungry, thirsty, and poor. Well, the word made flesh will address all of these issues. Revelation 7, 7, said, the lamb will guide us to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. In John 6, 35, he says, I will, uh, he will give them the bread of life that whoever comes to him shall not hunger and whoever believes in him shall never thirst. And then in Philippians 4, 19, he, uh, Paul writes, God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, Jesus satisfies our needs by giving us himself the very word of God. That's how all of this works. We aren't called to do anything because we can't. We don't have any money. We can't. We're not going after the right things. We don't have it in us to satisfy ourselves. Rather, we are to listen and to receive him, to listen, connect, and to encounter him. And when we do that, we learn about God's great grace and mercy. We learn that in Christ we have been given more than we could possibly imagine, even more that all that he has is ours. It is our inheritance, for we are now co-heirs with God. That is God's word to you and to me. Jesus, his very self, and in Jesus we have all things. 
Do you see how the gospel addresses our selfishness, our needs, and our sin? The gospel is a story of going from having nothing with no hope and being hard in our selfishness to having God Almighty himself with riches beyond compare, a righteousness beyond compare, and a glory beyond compare, with a promise of eternal life and a call to rest. Rest and restoration. That's how the gospel satisfies, that it does not call us to chase, but it calls us to sit and rest and to listen. That's how truly listening and connecting to Jesus enables us to be satisfied. But that satisfaction isn't just a mountaintop experience, but radically changes the way that we approach this life. You see, the gospel moves us to change. Just like true listening brings about change. When we hear about our selfishness and our sin, we are convicted to change. After listening and seeing what we're doing wrong, we cannot continue in our wicked ways, right? Hearing my wife tell me something that I've done wrong, I probably shouldn't just keep doing that thing, right? Truly listening to her about what hurts her, about what her anxiety is and what it brings, right? I can't just continue to live in the same way over and over and over again. I might stink at changing for a while, but I need to work at changing. And so listen to the repentance that is brought in verses 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you see the radical change listening has brought from verse 3 where we chase and seek after that which does not satisfy? What are we seeking now? Well, we're not seeking ourselves, but we're seeking the Lord. But that seeking is always paired with finding. Seek and you shall find. We're not looking for something that we don't know where it is. We know exactly where God is. We know where he stands. And so we are called to turn from our selfishness and our sin and turn to him. That's the whole point of repentance. We're not just to turn from our wicked ways, to stop doing that which is wicked, but we are to do that which is righteous. The Christian life is never simply believing that Jesus is your Lord, but also it is living like it too. We just welcomed uh, Slava and Jen into the church, right? And their third vow, and for all of those that are members here, y'all took these vows too. The third vow is that you, you will, in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ. And so living as a Christian is a life of repentance, and it begins with listening. Not just to the Lord, but to others as well. It begins with listening to the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin. It begins with listening to the Word tell us about righteousness and holiness to tell us about our Savior. And then it continues as we don't just repent once, but again and again as we continue to listen ever more to the Holy Spirit and to the Word. And the best part, the best part about our listening as we repent is that our Savior is always there to welcome us back. The Lord's reaction to our repentance isn't conditional or condescending, uh, like a condescending, well, I told you, show, you should have known, like I told you. Right? He's not up there doing that. 
Rather, the Lord's, the Lord's reaction to our repentance is delight. Because he delights in showing compassion and abundantly pardoning. His compassion is never in question. And I hope you hear his love, the love with which he pleads for us to return to him. The Lord isn't an angry parent waiting to scold us for our disobedience, but rather one desperately wanting to be reunited with his wayward children. He runs to us when he sees us in the distance like the father does for the prodigal son. He loves us. And there is an abundant amount of compassion and pardon for us if we would only listen. And that love for us, that call to turn us from our selfishness and sin, leads us to change the way we look at the world. And through that, it gives us a different perspective. So listening leads to perspective. This is verses 8 through 11. It deals with our sanctification. You see, listening reminds us that God is God and we are not. Look with me at verses 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the, to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my, uh, from my mouth. It shall not return empty to me, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listening to the Lord doesn't just satisfy us through receiving our Lord, which leads to repentance, but it enables us to be prepared for this life. We don't often understand the twists and turns that life brings, and there's real temptation toward doubt for us in that lack of understanding. Right? When we don't understand what's going on, we don't want to listen to the Lord, but we want our first first inclination is to try to do something, to try to, re- to get control. But listening to the Lord reminds us that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and our ways are not his ways, and that we cannot hope to completely unravel the purposes and reasons of God. And so let me illustrate what I mean by that. I play a game with my kids who are three and five, and basically I lay on the ground with my eyes closed, and they try to get past me without getting like caught by me. And they think they're so smart. They scheme all the time. They're like, we're going to do this. We're going to sneak past and we're going to go. And he's not going to catch us. Right? And of course, they do that out loud. And so I know exactly what they're doing. Right? And even as they're trying to sneak past, there's like little giggles of like, I'm getting past him. Right? And so it's really easy for me to get them. Right? And so I grab them, tickle them, push them back, and they try again. Right? Makes like complete sense to us who are not three and five, but they're like completely dumbfounded, right? How does he know, right? How much more does God know, right? How much, how much, how must we look to the Lord like little children with our little schemes, right? He knows what we're going to do. He knows how this is all going to play out. And he has a plan far, that is far greater and far more unknowable than we could possibly imagine. And so when we're, we're trying to rack our brains, how does, he, how does this work? I don't understand. He knows, and he's got a plan. But just because we don't know doesn't mean that he doesn't. 
Just because we don't get it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan. And so he does. And with that perspective, it helps us persevere when we don't understand what's going on. It aids us and comforts us when things go sideways and we can't see how this could possibly be what's supposed to happen. And yet in the midst of our uncertainty, God always accomplishes his purpose. His word is always effective and accomplishes exactly what God wants it to. And this truth gives me a tremendous amount of comfort. You see, I speak a lot of words to myself and to all of you about Jesus. And unfortunately, it often doesn't seem like it does very much. You and I are still very sinful. And in some ways, in the same ways as before, right? You're still sinful in a lot of the same ways this, when you leave here today. In some ways, I don't always see the needle move. Often, I don't see the needle move. And yet, I know that the word of the Lord is accomplishing that which he purposes. And that promise is not just made to preachers, but to all of us. As we struggle in our sanctification, the Lord is working through his uh, word to change you and your stubborn sinfulness. As we struggle with the salvation and sanctification or lack thereof of people whom we love, family members, friends, colleagues, whatever, we know that the words of the gospel are working in ways that we can't possibly know. But God does. And so as we listen to the Lord, we are reminded that his word is mighty and powerful, even though we might not see it. But we know it's working because it has changed us in exactly the same way. Right? When we came to the Lord, we didn't think that the word was working on us before, but now we see that it was. And so we wait patiently for the Lord's plans to be revealed in his word. And then finally, all of that leads us to worship. Look with me at verses 12 to 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall never be cut off. Listening well leads to worship. When we listen to him, he is glorified. How? When we listen to his word, we are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we are changed, he is glorified, for we would never change on our own. Friends, do you see the change that true listening brings? Do you see the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus because our ears have been opened to the greatness and goodness of the gospel? Do you see that the gospel satisfies us in such a way that we are made secure through the word? That we don't have to strive and chase after things that don't satisfy, but we are freed rather to chase after the Lord to become like him. Jesus listened so very well. He listened patiently to our misguided attempts to make him our earthly king. He listened patiently as we poured out our insecurities, our needs, our infirmities, our diseases. But all the while, while we were focused on the things of this world, he listened also to our hearts to see what we truly needed. And when he heard it all, after he had listened well, he spoke words of life that not only opened our ears, but also our eyes to what we really need, which is him. 
He met us and cared for us in our great needs. He touched the untouchable, forgave the unforgivable, and loved the unlovable. And as he listened, he connected. And so, friends, in Christ we are known and loved, and miracle of miracles, we are heard. Praise God. Praise be to God who hears us in all our foolishness and still loves us in the end. Praise be to God that we will not be put to shame, but that we will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Praise God that our sinfulness and our selfishness does not lead to destruction, does not lead to rejection, but, listen, but leads to God Almighty listening to us and loving us. And it leads us to the cross where Jesus paid it all for us. Now, knowing that listening to the Lord does so much for us, and brings about praise and honor and glory to him and worship. How does that change us? What does that mean for the way in which we listen to each other? Sure, we've got a savior repentance perspective and worship due to hearing and receiving the gospel, but now that we've been saved and equipped, what does that mean for our mission? Remember, we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus for good works, because he has prepared them beforehand for us to walk in them. And listening to the Lord has a Im huge impact on the way we carry out that mission. It changes the way in which we view the world. Because we often think that the world is a dangerous and scary place, and so we armor ourselves with the, with the armor of God, right? The full armor of God. But that armor is for our protection not to be used as an offensive weapon against the lost. Jesus' righteousness was never used as a weapon against the lost, but rather it is that very righteousness that calls him to listen to the lost, that he might then speak words of grace and life. Friends, we're not called to chase after the halls of power and to utterly destroy God's enemies beneath our heel. No, we are called instead to make disciples and to teach them to obey God's commandments. But what does that look like? Because often we can't make people do what we want. We can't make them do it, especially because they don't believe in the gospel, to it, which would enable them to live in the way that we would like for them to live. So how do we win, so to speak? Well, we win the same way that Jesus does. We embody Christ to be like him to a washing world. Paul reminds us in Colossians that Christians are called to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. That lack is simply that the Colossians could not see Christ physically suffer for them because Christ had already ascended and was gone. Rather, they must look at Paul to show them a picture of a suffering Savior who for the joy that was set before him gladly suffers that he might have them. None of us have seen the risen Jesus. And none of the lost will ever see the risen Jesus unless they look at us. And so we must embody Christ to them. Jesus listened to sinners be sinners. And yet he still embraced us, embraced that. 
And that is what we're called to do, to patiently endure evil while we listen, that we might show people Jesus. And this means that we will suffer. And that should be our joy. That we would have the privilege of embodying Jesus to the ones that Jesus loves, whom we should love too. It is through listening well that we have the opportunity to speak words of life. With that in mind, Friday was a big day. It was a great day, a day that we rejoiced in something good happening. Because of the Supreme Court's decision on abortion. It was a day that will hopefully lead to many lives being saved. But it was also a day of great anger, sadness, and outrage from the lost. And these people that are angry, sad, and outraged, whom we think are terribly mistaken, those, precisely those people, were the people that Jesus came to listen to, to love, and to ultimately save through his blood on the cross. And we were those people at one time too, sinful and selfish. There's nothing that separates Christians from them except the gospel of Jesus. And so what is our call today? Our call today is to listen well to sinners, because that's what Jesus did for us. Let us listen to their fears, their anxieties, and even, yes, their sinfulness, that we might speak words of grace and life to their hard and sinful hearts, which were, are just like our own. And as we listen to them, we ought to listen to the Lord's heart for sinners to be redeemed. And so now is not the time to crow about a legal victory. Now is not the time to be smug. Not that there's really ever a time to be smug. But rather, now is the time to sit with people and to listen to their hearts, even when they are angry with you. It's time to sit and suffer for the sake of embodying Christ, that they might see, even if they may not know, that what they're seeing is Jesus. Today is a day to work towards being people who love and support the most vulnerable among us, not just the unborn, but also the women who find themselves in difficult circumstances due to unplanned, unexpected, or complicated pregnancy. Today is the day to be like Jesus. And that begins by listening well, using the security and love that the gospel gives us to not be for ourselves, but for the sinners who are hard to love, just like we are. Friends, I know how much your, your heart yearns to love the lost. I see in so many of you the desire to save the unborn, to love the unlovely. And we do that by being quiet and listening and hearing the hearts of people that are hurting that we might know how specifically to meet this individual person with the gospel, to apply very specifically the love and grace that we have experienced ourselves. Because that's what happened to each and every one of us when we came to the Lord. The Lord met us in our insecurities, in our sin, in our selfishness. And he said, no, I have a better way. Let me show you me and give you me 
And so let us give Christ as the answer. Let's pray. Father God, we rejoice that the scourge of abortion is at least partially restrained. And yet, Lord, we know that so many folks will be put between a rock and a hard place now. And that there is much weeping and anger from many that are lost. And we ask that we would be like you, that we would listen well, and that when we do have the opportunity to speak, that we would speak words of life, words that point to you, and that we would be people that use the gospel well, that we would understand the security and the hope that we have in you, and that we might be able to listen boldly, that we might be able to suffer well that we might be able to connect to those that are sinful and lost, just like you connected to us. And Lord, I pray that as we seek to do that, that you would remind us of Isaiah 55, that you give us exactly what we need, and that you give us repentance and perspective, and that all of this, we hope, would ultimately lead to worship. Lord, make us rejoice in you. For Lord, you are worthy and you are enough. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.